If you've uh, come to Christ and you know you're in love with him and you know he loves you, and yet there's this insecurity, there's this lack of confidence in you, well, then you're going to want to listen to today's episode. I'm here with Joshua West. Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. Joshua, let's just jump right into the subject because uh, I think it's really important. You probably, along with me, have ministered to a lot of people who you kind of know they met Christ and you kind of know their the, the testimony is real and pure, but they're like questioning their salvation. Did I lose it? Did I? Do you, do you come across that quite a bit? Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's two sort of like versions of that. There's the person that you know by all appearances you believe that they know and love Christ, and they're they're worried about that. Um, and then there's the far other side, people yeah. who maybe think that they're that they're saved, but they haven't lived for Christ, don't seem to have love and affection for Christ. And so, yeah, I think there's uh, when we talk about it, there's people sometimes immediately gravitate to one of those two groups. But I definitely um, always want to encourage a saint, you know, in, in the faith when people ask me, you know, do you think I'm saved or not? Instead of just validating or invalidating, which really isn't my place, I usually like to take them to the scriptures mm-hmm. and, and ask them some questions from the scripture so that God can yeah. work assurance in their own heart. I agree with you. And I, th- I think it comes down to. Um, uncertainty, uh, Christians who are really Christians, but they're uncertain about it, or unconcerned. These are people that really That's aren't good. Christians, but they're unconcerned about whether they are not. Uh, they just think they it. just think they are, and so so that's kind of what we want to deal with today. And um, you know, the, the, a precursor to this might be the assurance of your salvation. Somebody knows that they're saved uh, because Jesus the appropriated work for them. Uh, that's the assurance of salvation. Today, we're talking more about the security of your salvation. Uh, how secure is your salvation? How, how do you know? And instead of just taking a controversial subject, you and I are going to, we, we've met before the podcast today, and we decided we're, we're going to go to scripture and sort of kind of exegesis a little bit and do some expository, uh, bring forth some expository teaching uh, from particular uh, scriptures. But uh, there are pretty much two schools of thought when it, com- it comes to this. One is um, people that know Jesus and are saved uh, can not be saved uh, through circumstances or events or sin or whatever. Uh, the other school of thought is when you're born again, you're in God's family and you can never be taken away from that family. Would that be definitely about, about the two and there's nuances and misunderstandings yeah. on both sides, but that's a pretty general way of of looking at both of those camps, you yeah. know and and I think one of the one of the most important things when you're talking about things from one perspective or the other, because obviously we both have a, an opinion, uh, you know, a, a conclusion we've come to. I think it's very important to not misrepresent this, maybe the side you don't mm-hmm. believe. You know, I think uh, it's not very compelling when you're not giving due diligence to both things and, and really wrestling with, with because the, at the end of the day, um, not just this podcast, but as believers, um, as imperfect as we are, we just want to know God and know Him from His Word. And and I think the reason we're having these conversations is to help others maybe walk through the Scriptures in the same way and come yeah. come to some biblical conclusions. Yeah. The re- I think the reason that a lot of this is uh, controversial or there's a lot of questions that circle around this issue is not necessarily because c- of the, the text of Scripture. Personally, uh, not to put the people down that maybe see the scripture from a different lens than I do. I, I think, and you'd probably agree with me, it's pretty clear. I, I think the security of the believer is is from Genesis to Revelation is one of the main themes of the Bible. And I think you almost have to pick out a few little 
not little, but but, but you, there, there's some content in there that might th- throw some confusion or question into that. But obviously, the scripture itself is not confusing. Right. It's not contradictory. And so there is really a clear answer to that. Years ago, my father, I was in his, his library, and he had four walls, all books, I mean, from floor to ceiling. And I asked him this question. I said, you know, hey, there's this big argument between Calvinism and Armenianism, and I don't understand it. I grew up Armenian, and I, you know, I believe you, you, you know, you you you, you, want, you, you can lose your salvation, and I believe uh, your free will uh, brings you to selection. And then, of course, now on the other side, there's the school, that, and he put he pointed all these books and said, you know, all see those books there, like, and he pointed out Owen and others, right. uh, the Puritan writers, because all of them believe. You know more more about security of the believer. They all tend to believe in election or predestination. Right. Because over here, look, and I looked over there was Wesley and Finney and Moody. Uh, you know, and he goes, and all those believe opposite. You take those books and put them off the shelf. You're going to hear rich teachings from men who knew God. So that's not the question we're asking. Like, right. Is, no, definitely is, not. Is uh, is somebody who believes something different than what we're about to try to describe today uh, lesser of a Christian? Absolutely not. We're both in agreement with that. Definitely. But, but at the same time. I think they're, you know, they're. It's an important subject because so many people are, you know, I, I can't tell you how many scores of people have called me, written me, come into my office and just said, you know, I, I, I sinned or uh, I haven't been praying much lately, so you know, I think I've lost my salvation or I'm uncertain about it. I think, you know, and just, you know, I, I don't want that uncertainty in believers. Definitely. And and the reason I think what we're about to say is. Other we try to contradict it would be the other word we used, un- unconcerned. They're, they're concerned that so many people think they're saved and they're not saved. Right. And they're unconcerned about not being really saved. Definitely. And so this argument probably comes down to basically some people believing you could lose your salvation or others would say, if you're acting that way, if you're living that way, if you're that you know, rejecting, if you're trampling the blood of Christ, you probably were never saved in the first place. So I think Definitely. it kind of lands on that. Would you say so? I agree. I, I you know, I think when it comes to people <clears throat> that I believe are are biblical and men who knew God, as you would say, on both sides of this argument, I think that we all can agree that that a person who is truly saved, faith will persist through the course of their life. Amen. Um, you know, those who receive the crown of life are those who endure to the end. So I think even people who would disagree with us, um, what our particular stance is on this, I think that the ones who are biblical, we are much closer together. Um, and there's the really the nuance is what you just said. You know, some people would say that these people didn't persist in the faith because falling away meant they had Christ, but they, you know, they lost him or gave him up or turned their back on him. Um, and for us, to me, it's a it's a soteriological or an or a question of salvation yes. um, or, or in regeneration. To me, it's it's an indication if you don't persist to the end that you are never truly not that you never truly saved never truly regenerated not that you never went to church or never that you never led a bible study or appeared mm-hmm. by all outward appearances that you were a believer but i personally believe a true believer will will make a confession of faith that will endure the rest of their life and because of regeneration right. and we'll talk more about that That's but so, i, I so just good. wanted to point that out because I feel like we miss if we misstate one side or the other, make a straw man so we can tear it down. 
Um, I think we don't do anybody any justice, and I think we really are. Most people I know that would disagree with me on this issue, when we start talking it through, we are much more unified in what we believe if, if in fact, they're Mm. they're people who have a a really biblical understanding. Um, And then I think ultimately the second tier of that is people that may have – strains of legalism or works-based theology sometimes would distance them from us. But people that believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, the end. I think that both if, – if we really believe that, that God is the one saving us, regenerating us, sanctifying us, ultimately glorifying us like it says in Romans 8, I think that even if that person thinks that you are saved but turn, you could turn your back on it, we would agree on, you know, nine out of mm-hmm. ten other things. Yeah, yeah, and 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 back to the why. Well, then, if if we agree on nine out of ten things, and the and the tenth is, you know, if we count it as insignificant, then we probably don't even need to be talking about it today. But I do think there's a significance to it. There, there is, uh, you know, and, and I think why I, I would just uh, I have in my notes are three things I think that give the why is the security of salvation. Uh, a necessary topic. Why is it something that's important? We know, and I put, I just put a, uh, because I believe it's God's word for us and to us. It's that so we want to we want to be accurate in handling the word of God, and I hope we build a strong uh, biblical case for where we're headed today. Uh, number two, I'd say it brings peace uh, that God has provided for us. So it's it's a uh, we're, we're providing you know the peace. I give to the to you. You know what Jesus had commented to us. Well, we want to, as preachers and teachers, we want to help people be secure in that. And I th- third, I'd say it advances sanctification uh, that God is encouraging us to walk in. It's a. Uh, I, I have found peop- that people that are constantly in fear. Uh, I sinned. I lost my salvation. Um, I haven't prayed for this month. I, I must not be saved anymore. Or just that that almost demonic feeling like God doesn't love me anymore. I must not be right. saved anymore. That that will not produce sanctification. Some some you know you'll get your eyes off growing in Christ. You'll stop being hungry for the Word because you'll just be living in fear and anxiety. And and so uh, I think for those three reasons we need to 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 um, nail this down and and own it and believe it. And and again, there's going to be people listening to us today. They're going to disagree with us. Most of the people in our realm of ministry probably see things differently than us. Definitely. Um, a lot of the people that, that I teach with in different churches come from a different background. I spent the, the vast majority of my ministry being more on the side of losing your salvation, of, of you know, you'd almost call it works-based in some ways, uh, but um, transitioning into to this the past 10, 20 years, uh, a slow process of, of developing this, of just getting a conviction of of what I believe is the, the truth of the gospel um, has has done these three, three things in my life. It's I, I, I think I see God's word, I see His peace, and I see the sanctification development. Not to say that people that don't agree with me can't be sanctified or have peace. Totally. But but uh, I, I think that it does increase uh, the certainty of, of of these things in our life. So so why don't we start digging in scripture? Let's let's Joshua. Let's take first uh, some scriptures. You've got Galatians 5, Romans 11, Revelation 22, Galatians 5, 1 through 5. I have Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, Hebrews 10, 26, 2 Peter 2, 20, 1 Timothy 4, 3. So we've got a lot of scripture to cover. And these would be scriptures that would be, if a, if a group of people are saying uh, and teaching to their congregations, to their to those that are discipling and mentoring, uh, be careful because you could lose your salvation. These would most likely be the scriptures that they would use. For sure. All right. So let's just, you ready to dig in? Definitely. 
You want to start with Hebrews? Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. Eight, yeah, all right. Um, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up contempt to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that as often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those uh, for the sake of it has been cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is being burned up. And we'll, we'll go to another scripture here in just a little bit, but let's stop there for a second. This seems to be, I, I you know, if I'm real honest and just, even though I believe in the security of the believer, I believe that, I hate to use the phrase because it's controversial, once you're saved, you're always saved, which which is, I think in itself is a horrible thing to be controversial. Yeah. As if people don't want that, like, I want everybody to get saved to be saved forever, right? I, I, you know, and and I don't know, you know, the only reason I can see where that would be a statement that would cause people to be stirred with anger would be to say, again, what we said earlier, that, that, well, what about these unconcerned, these people that are living in sin? Right. We're about to make a case saying that a truly born again believer that has has a new heart, a new covenant, the, and I will put my law within you, is not going to be a person who lives in sin, who lives in disregard, who tramples the blood of Christ, who who, who falls away uh, and then wants to be restored again. This is a person that Christ has brought into his family. And, and you know, the, you and I both have children. Nothing our children can do would ever allow me to say, you can't use the name Wilkerson anymore. Right. You, you are no longer my son. Now, people do that. Definitely. Uh, but I think I wouldn't do that because I know my father has given me that grace, my father in heaven. And, and that's a, so this this passage of scripture, one thing I'll start off first of all, because in my background and heritage, there was the sense of backsliding, falling away, and then coming to the altar or, you know, confessing to the pastor and the pastor saying, well, you need to, you know, get saved again or, or, or repent and come back to Christ uh, you've fallen away from grace, so now you're you're living in sin, so get saved again. The problem of, uh, I always had with that, even when I was living in that kind of doctrinal theology, was this uh, verse 6, then having fallen away uh, to restore them, uh, or, or um, having fallen away to restore them again uh, to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God. It's saying here, if there is such a thing as falling away, you're done. Right? right. Am I seeing that correctly? Definitely. Yeah. I, you know, so a lot of these texts and, you know, with all charity, I say this, a lot of these texts, I also grew up hearing um, and really is more of this sort of language of reprobateness. You know, this idea, the Hebrews 6 passage and the Hebrews 10 passage is almost like not that you can backslide, but but that you, you're crossing a, a threshold that you can't go back from. And I think, you know, we have to firmly establish from the outset a soteriological or a salvation-oriented opinion and belief that salvation is a gift of God, um, grace is a gift of God, lest no man should boast. And so when we have that firmly established, when I've read, and listen, I've been studying it through the book of Hebrews for the last three years, um, you know, I'm working on a book with you mm-hmm. in regards to it. I'm actually working in a highly academic doctoral dissertation in it mm-hmm. right now. But even before that, I, I kind, you know, 
understanding the book of Hebrews and its wholeness of context, um, what this is saying, if you read the whole of chapter 6, well, first of all, the word enlightened, uh, the Greek word used there for enlightened, doesn't have anything to do with regeneration, salvation, justification. It's a, it's a, it's a knowledge. It's an understanding. And so this idea that have been enlightened and then tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, there's, there's a work of the church. There's like participating in these things. And then there's also an internal work and we can't confuse those two things. And so this idea, and I think this is the language of the writer of Hebrews, half of it is, is, uh, you know, almost like warnings of falling or drifting away. And the other half of it is really encouraging the true believer. And so in my humble opinion, all the language of falling away in Hebrews is basically saying, listen, if, you, if you've tasted and seen Christ and you reject that, there really is no there is nowhere else to go from there. Yeah, you can't because the Son of God. If if that's not good enough, again, if yeah. the gospel, if exactly. participate participation in the body of Christ, but I, I know that this isn't saying that a person you know had a full head knowledge of Christ and he rejected him, um, and now he tries to come back later because there's so much language of you know God will never reject the contrite and humble of spirit, but but this is more of a language of the idea that if you if you don't obtain salvation through Christ, that there is nowhere to go. That's why it says that it says they're no able to be restored to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him to contempt. It's also like the language of Paul um, at the end of Galatians when he says, listen, basically, um, you know, if we could have earned salvation by our works, then Christ died for nothing. Mm -hmm. And so it is really a centralizing idea that, that if, you're, if you're truly enlightened and understand the gospel and reject it, there's nowhere to go from there. That's right. Well, I think that hits that nail on, on the head. And those – but I would, I would, in fairness, you know, we're talking about not building a straw man totally. case here. In fairness, it really – out of all the texts that we're about to take a look at today – this one, would I say, probably gives the most credence to somebody if they really wanted to say, I think you could fairly interpret the scripture saying, like, this sounds like a Christian. No doubt. Uh, I, and I, but I, I do agree with your, your outcome of this, that, that I, I don't yeah. think this person was. And, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But the, some of these words, taste and share, um, t tasted, used twice, um, and once been enlightened, you once had some light coming in, you once started tasting these things. In context, Hebrews was written, the, the, the commentaries tell us, to a very small church in Rome, uh, Jewish Christians who had become believers, a lot of Jewish people in Rome at the time. And so their community, this, this small, tight-knit Jewish community within that smaller community, even a smaller community of Christian Jews now had come together, probably in a house church. And many of them were being persecuted, not only by the Romans, Nero and others, but also being persecuted by the Jews. And so a lot of them were like, okay, you know what? I, I came, my friend invited me to this house church and I, and I came for you know several weeks, saw the Holy Spirit move, heard the word of God. It was brilliant. My heart was moved and I got emotionally touched by these things. Uh, similar, I, you know, I always think, and when I read this text, I think of, is it Simeon or Simon, I don't know how you say it, who saw Paul and them do the, do the works of the Holy right. Spirit and uh, speaking in tongues. And he said, hey, I want to buy that. Right. So you could probably say that guy tasted of the Holy Spirit. He was following Paul around, so he heard the teaching of the word of God. But, you know, 
Paul pretty much called him a son of the devil, not a child of God who was right. confused or uncertain about his faith. And so that that's where I go uh, to this. Again, because would somebody who truly received the new covenant grace, the, the work of grace in Christ, gave them a brand new heart, would that person be in any way able to crucify God once again, Jesus once again? Would they be able to hold him, uh, to harm him and hold him up to contempt? Uh, that that would not be any sign of somebody who has a new heart. It'd be somebody to me that doesn't. And there's a couple other scriptures here that I think right after that that would 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 say um, would say you know, like I love verse nine. So you know, remember reading things in context, right? Uh, and and so he's giving this warning to the small church. Don't you know? Hey, you're getting in. You're starting to understand this thing. It won't be long till you're saved. You know, don't trample this now. Uh, and then he says, uh, uh, you know, rain uh, that, that falls on uh, and produces a crop useful is cultivated. So in other words, you're, you're in the church. It's starting to rain on you. And now it's producing fruit. You're getting saved. You're getting sanctified. You're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. But if it, if it's, if it bears thorns and thistles, which a Christian does not bear thorns, a good tree can't produce good fruit. Right. A good tree can't produce good fruit. No, I know what <laughs> you mean. Yes. A good tree only produces good fruit. Bad. Correct. So, so you, so he's saying here, you're bearing thorns and thistles. That means you're not a good tree. That's right. So that means you're not born again. Definitely. To me, it doesn't. It is no. worthless. Is 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 the writer of Hebrews calling somebody who's a Christian worthless? near to being cursed, at the end being burned? If so, what is the significance of the work of Christ on our behalf, who, is, who are worthy of being burned, who are worthy of, of uh, being cursed? That, that's who we would be in ourselves. So Jesus did this work for us, and I believe it's an eternal, irreversible work. Um, and so he's distinguishing here. There's here the, the rain in the small home church in, in Rome is, is falling on both you guys, but you're not a tree that's bearing fruit. You're not a good tree. You're you are. You've become a good tree, not because you started good works, uh, but because you had trusted in the finished work of Jesus. The capstone on this, to me, then, is verse nine. Though we speak in this way, this warning way, don't do this. Don't be a bad tree. Get saved. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, speaking of those beloved, in other words, now he's speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved, we feel sure of better things. So, in other words. We're sure this is not happening in your life because you're part of the beloved. You're my brother. Definitely. Uh, my brother in Christ is not a, a a thorn and thistle tree. He's not worthless. He's not about ready to be cursed. He's he's a brother, and I'm sure of better things. Now, you you, you know more than me because you've been studying Hebrews more in depth than I have. The better things is one of the main themes of the book of Hebrews. Better sacrifice, better covenant, better blood. It speaks better than Abel. And so— I think it's powerful that he uses that little phrase there, better things. Yes. It's it's these better things, better than the law, uh, uh, these things that belong to salvation. Eternal things. The, yeah, <laughs> right. Because these things that not he just describes. Things, not things, no. not foreshadowings, not um, placeholders. And this is all of the language of the entire context of the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Um, if you don't, if you let me jump yes, in for please, a second, yeah. I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that we have to remember um, is that there's language of internal, the internal work of salvation. You know, Paul gives a lot of these sort of uh, explanations in Romans. I mean, it's a very technical um, internal the product of salvation. Here's what happens in your heart. Here's what your life will produce. It's a theological writing. 
Um, Hebrews, while is a deeply theological writing, is more towards a church. Mm-hmm. And a true pastor of any church uh, is always under the understanding that the church is going to be made up at any given time of the beloved, those mm-hmm. who are in Christ, and those who are maybe approaching Christ, or but but that are not truly saved yet. And I think two things you hit on in that last little section is the word beloved is never used in in the New Testament one time except to talk about people who are in Christ. Mm. There is no there is no language like hey the beloved lost or no it's a very it's a very specific term talking about those who are are part of the church. These are Christian people. And so um I think that bouncing back and forth language is can be what's confusing because he's talking, yeah. you know, to a group of people. But what you know, when you said, how can you have really understood and been given a new heart and then changed it? It goes back to regeneration. Can that which is born of God right. be unborn of God? Right. And I think the the great sort of so they. Obviously, uh, John 15, um, this alludes to it. There's a lot of language. Romans uses it, this language of, uh, you know, branches and a tree and and being connected to the source of life. But another analogy used to sort of explain that, which I think is very applicable here, is the Matthew 7 discourse where Jesus at one point talks about a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And then when he gets to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount discourse, at the very end of chapter 7, he explains that the storms of life are going to come. And he talks about two houses that are seemingly identical. Mm-hmm. You know, one ha- they both have the same construction. <laughs> They're both built. He doesn't say one house was shoddily built, one was well built. No, the only difference between these two houses, the one that crumbled and the one that stood, is one was built on the rock, mm-hmm. which we know Christ says is him. Yeah. And so... To me, this is the this is the evidence of the enduring nature of of a life built on Christ, in Christ, reborn in Christ, will not crumble, will not fall. I'll just say this last little thing. I think it really I keep saying this is an issue of soteriology or an issue of regeneration, but I think it really also has to do with how you view salvation as a whole. Christianity I always like to say it's not a works-based religion. It's an evidence-based religion. The mm-hmm. fruit of the Spirit, the evidence. You were talking about that piece earlier. Well, the evidence, one of the, some of the evidences that we are in Christ and born and reborn in Christ is, is love, joy, mm-hmm. and peace. The, the love of God that transforms our life, rebirths us, gives us a new heart. The joy of our salvation, you know, in the in the biggest crisis of my life, even when I'm sad and brokenhearted, burying a loved one, going through just the most, you know, horrific experience, even though I'm mourning, the joy of my salvation is intact. Mm-hmm. The peace that passes understanding is there. And so obviously these are internal evidences. And then there's the external ones. Then you'll be mm-hmm. patient, kind, good, Absolutely. gentle, faithful, self-controlled. Um, but but I think that this is evidence of salvation, and I think we have to at least say this one thing. The question is, a true profession of faith that's born out of real belief in your heart, regeneration, actually be re- reborn into Christ, at that point, if your salvation is sure and real, yeah. 
who is saving you, who's sanctifying you. And that's what it really comes down to. Who's keeping you. Who's keeping you. Who's saving you. And Romans 8 tells us that the ones who are called were also kept and Mm -hmm. justified and, you know, goes down this list and ultimately ultimately will be glorified. And so I think – I think now I will say one thing. If you take Hebrews 6, 4 through um, 6 by itself, yeah. I mean it's it's a – and it's an uncomfortable verse Mm -hmm. and it is – sort of scary. And and I don't think that's bad. Yeah. I think the idea of this self-examination that Paul calls us to in 2 Corinthians, it's important to examine yourself, to see if you're truly in the faith. And so I think that sort of examining ourselves isn't like, have I done enough good works? Or did I say, you know, something I wish I wouldn't have said? No, the, the fruit that we're bearing is this fruit of evidence that our surety is in Christ, our yeah. reward. And in a life that is built on the rock will look will look different in every storm and season of life. Um, Praise the Lord. And I think the thing is, is when we're in this middle place where where we're struggling back and forth, where we see someone and we're not really sure where they are. Um, God knows if mm-hmm. they belong to Him or if they don't. And so, anyways, I think it's an issue. It's an issue of regeneration and who's saving yeah. us and who yeah. saved us and who ultimately will save us. Yeah. Uh, thank you for saying that. That. Encourages me. I, I would encourage those listening to to rewind the the YouTube video for <laughs> about sixty seconds or a minute and two, um, and and hear what you're saying about Matthew seven and the the two houses. I had never. I'm glad you brought that up because and it inspired me because I, I, if you superimpose it upon this chapter, chapter six of Hebrews, you you, you get an, almost a parable that Jesus is teaching about Hebrews six. He's saying. <clears throat> The, the 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 verses uh, four through six person is is gets the rain and the storms. But if you think about it, it it they were they didn't build during the rain and the storms. The parable doesn't go into this. They built probably when it was a nice sunny day. Right. So they got the sunshine as well, and they got the they got the good building materials, both of them. But one, I, I would say, verse four through six was built upon the sand, right. and then uh, verses verse you know seven and eight. Speaks of those you know, the good tree. That's that's the, that would be an analogy to the to the built on the rock, uh, and these are the better things that to be built on the rock. That that's the thing that belongs to salvation, and just what you said. What what it produces in verse ten, uh, for God is love, all right, and then verse eleven, uh, having full assurance, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. It's it, we're not coming up with that phrase ourselves. Like, oh, why are they talking about full assurance? Well, because the Bible does to have full assurance of hope. Because there's love, hope, until the end, um, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those through faith and patience and the promise, love, hope, and faith, which obviously reminds us of some other writer that spoke about the greatest of these is love, but there's these three things that we have. So that, that he's speaking of what you're talking about, the peace and the, 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 the things that come into, into somebody's heart. So that I wanted to comment on that great parallel between those two passage of scriptures and, and how that, that you, you talked about the pastor too. So we, both of us have been pastors for many years. We, we know that, you know, within our church, there's people that we're warning because, you know, it seems like the, they're building their house on the sand and they haven't come into the rock, which is Christ Jesus. And so we're warning them, but we're also, but we're, but we're not warning those who are on the rock 
hey, you know, you just think you're on the rock. Right. Uh, where we want them to be secure. We don't want the one on the sand to be secure in on the sand. And that's where that confusion comes in and people thinking that, uh, you know, we're, try- we're trying to just anybody who says a prayer or whatever. But, but the thing you're talking about with salvation, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the root question is what happens when, you know, the, the old man is done with and a new man is put in your old heart's gone, a new heart, stony heart gone, soft fleshly heart, the seed of God put in you. Uh, you have been born to imperishable seed. We'll talk about uh, maybe we'll go into that verse here a little bit later. Imperishable seed. Well, that's those things are speaking clearly to me to 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 security. So anyway, all right. Well, that's Hebrews six. Um, you want to go on to Hebrews ten? Yeah. While we're on Hebrews, let's and probably this one probably has a little less. I, I don't think it's as I don't think it's a strong fodder for people that might want to say you could lose your salvation, but but I think it's used by uh, people of, of that school of thought. He, uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 26, for if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume his adversaries. Um, and then it goes on talking about kind of Moses. Uh, but it, but if uh, then verse thirty eight, let me skip to verse thirty eight. But the righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then the Hebrews writer does the same thing he did in Hebrews chapter six. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Yeah. So it's the faith in Christ that preserves us. It's and, and it's not like I'm going to by works continue to pursue my faith and if i drop off a day or two then i've lost my faith right. it's 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 a it's living in you know and i've talked about that in the past having the faith this this the salvation faith that that's what preserves our soul not us or not our works and and but we're not of those who shrink back and so you know th- this one is and because in verse 28 uh, and maybe in through 31 he's talking about those who set aside the law of moses they're gonna they're gonna be punished. Vengeance is God's, you know. God's children following the law of Moses, who didn't follow it, would be punished. How much worse then is those who have spurned the uh, verse twenty nine, the, spurned the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant, which by which he was sanctified and uh, and outraged the Spirit of grace. Again, the the child of God does not spurn or uh, outrage. The grace that's it's they know they're saved by grace. So uh, I think it's clear we're we're not of those who who live that way to be destroyed. If in uh, fact we're in Christ, if we, yeah. So it's simple. So, but here here's how it was taught to me: if I go on sinning deliberately and and just stop there. So so you're 15 years old and you're you know you're starting to explore pornography or masturbation, and, right. and the preacher goes to you if you keep on sinning deliberately. You're, uh, you, know, you're, you know, how much worse a punishment? And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I'm not saved. I, I remember a time just going for a walk, just you know, and after hearing one of these messages, like, you know, if you lust, you you've lost your salvation. It's just like, how frustrating because because I would cry, oh God, I don't want to lust. I want to be pure, uh, you know, and and you have put this love in my heart for you, and I want to maintain it, but but I'm deliberately I'm deliberately sinning. Right. I'm I'm, I'm going back to the same stuff Definitely. and 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 i just wish somebody at that time would have said hey you're not the one who shrinks back you're struggling you're immature 
God's with you. Grace is upon you. You're going to grow. You're going to overcome this, which I did, thank God, um, uh, because you had faith and it preserved your soul. It, yep. it didn't. You didn't lose your soul. You, it preserved your soul. Faith preserves your soul. It doesn't cause you to lose it because you're struggling with sin. Right. Uh, so this is this again is talking to to, to me. It's talking to. I'm sorry. I'm going on so long here. No, it's good. But, but it's a uh, you know this Hebrew church thing. I'm talking about again that little church. You know, I liken it to. I moved from New York City to um, South. Uh, to the south in, in Texas, and the cu- church culture was very different. Uh, you know, you've been in the south; you were in Oklahoma. The Bible Belt. So, Grew up in Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, the, so pastors really have to know. In the Bible Belt, there are a lot of so-called brothers. They, they come to church because they're a real estate agent and great contacts, and they'll sit under the word, and they'll, and so they need warnings. The, the uh, faithful pastor is going to warn them. Don't you dare sit in this church and hear the word of God and see what the Holy Spirit's doing and then spurn it and turn from it and don't be obedient to the faith that we're calling you into, to the rock that we're calling into. And so that, that, that you know, so to me, Hebrews 10 is not talking about a Christian who's sinning. It's talking about someone who's deliberately rejecting Christ, spurning. And rejecting Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think— I think one of the biggest things, any advice, some advice, obviously I would give this advice in any context um, to learn to read the Bible in context. And as you begin to understand a chapter of scripture that you understand it in context of the surrounding chapters mm-hmm. and the surrounding book and and who the author is being written to. You know, these are very basic hermeneutical yeah. principles, but they shouldn't just be for the preacher. The I mean, I, I like to say this all the time. I used to teach a hermeneutics class and I would say, listen, children understand context when they're reading a storybook, you know, about whatever kids are reading about. They understand context is important. You could pull a line out of any book. And so we we should press into try to understand what was the author saying. And then, of course, as we begin to understand the continuity of the Old and New Testament and the doctrines of the Bible, some of those are going to grow even more. We begin to understand the character of God and, and the large doctrines of the Bible. Um, and these things can only mm-hmm. come over time, just like getting to know someone. You know, getting to know you, I get to know certain things about you, but living in close proximity to you, I learn a lot more about you and and the things you say. And even sometimes, not that God ever does this, but things you say, but... But I really know what you mean because (laughs) because of the context and the relationship. So I said all that to say this. Anyone who has a hard time with Hebrews 10, please read Hebrews 10 11 and 12 together. Um, Obviously in light of the whole book, but those three chapters really tell a story. It starts off with a group of of Christians who are under great persecution, like Gary said, from the Romans, from the Jews. Um, and, and because they were Jewish people, the temptation was to fall back into the the old covenant. And mm-hmm. so this, this persecution comes. If we go earlier in Hebrews 10, it says that they were being in prison. They were being, um, you know, their p- property was being stolen from them. And, and so he was telling them not to hold fast to their possessions or to the church, or but to the one thing that will never fail them, and that is faith in Christ. And so as we go through 10, 11, and 12, you have to keep that in mind. So when you get to the place where it says that, remember, under the old covenant, someone could be killed based on the witness of two or three people, how much more of an indictment is is it if you 
in fact, trample the blood of Christ. How do we trample mm-hmm. the blood of Christ? We trample it by by shrugging it off and, and saying it doesn't matter. Or we also shrug, we also trample it by by doubting its sufficiency because right. all through the first several chapters of Hebrew, he's talking about the sufficiency of the sacrifice and the ongoing work of Christ, the great high priest. And so really to say that you could lose something when your faith is in Christ um, is it really is trampling the blood of Christ. Um, and so then he goes into this part where he explains what biblical faith is. And then in chapter 12, he basically explains that in light of of this sort of historical view of faith, now here's how you go for, you know, mm-hmm. keeping your eyes fixed on what your works or what you did today. No, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, who himself is the author and finisher of your faith. And I think what, the last thing I would say about this, I know time's running low, but I think for me, just to someone who's an honest person who really wants to um, come to grips with one side of this this discussion or the other, I would say for me personally, um, I was raised believing that you could lose your salvation and lived in fear of it even in my early Christian walk. But it wasn't just um, one scripture. It was the over, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the overwhelming evidence of the character of God and what God says about salvation in the Bible that finally, because I didn't want to let go of it because I was raised, it finally just collapsed the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, and as I went back and looked at some of these scriptures that really make the case uh, against you know the idea that you can lose your salvation, I have to come back to the idea, ultimately for me, the evidence of saving faith in me is that Christ keeps his promises. Amen. The blood of Christ is sufficient and that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. If at some point I, I deny Christ and, and go you know live in open sin and die in that condition, as, as much as you could look at my life from the outside and say, man, he, he taught, he preached, he did all these things. To me, that would be evidence that I never really did have yeah. the truth of Christ. On the flip side of that, as a person who has come to grips with the, with the truth of God and have been reborn in Christ, there is literally nothing in this world that could ever take that from you. Yeah. Nothing in this world gave it to me. Nothing in this world could take it from me. So take all my stuff. God forbid, take away my wife, my beautiful son. My my hope isn't built in anything less than Christ Jesus. Yeah. And and if and if something in this life, sin, um, tragedy, trial, the plundering of your property, Hebrews yeah. ten, can take faith away from you. Um, your faith was never actually really in Christ. I'll say this last thing, mm-hmm. Richard Wombrandt, the the founder of. Uh, you know, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, who mm-hmm. was in Romanian prison for 14 years, was tortured yeah. because he wouldn't go back on his profession of Christ. Once was asked, you know, how did your faith not break under all of that? And he said a faith that can be broken by suffering was never faith wow. because his faith wasn't in this life. Yeah. It was in the life be, to come. That would be true. Also, the, the faith that prefers to give into temptation constantly it might be evidence of something. Might, yeah, but the, but but the 
you know, endurance is an evidence. We're not you know, we're so, not yeah. speaking sinless perfection because no. the struggle that you had, we all have struggles in our mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Um, and there are things that God has freed me from, from addiction, from, mm -hmm. you know, the open manifestation of lust in my life. But God is still working on me. There are yeah. other sins in my life that God is sanctifying out of my life. The difference is, is today I don't mourn the consequences of my sin. I yeah. mourn over sin itself Amen. because I love God. That's really good. Well, you spoke earlier about uh, time being short. I was, we have uh, six or seven, eight scriptures, <laughs> and then we want to look at the ones that support biblically what we've been saying. You've, you've alluded to a few of them, but I think uh, what we'll do is we'll we'll cut here. And then we'll come back and do part two, maybe even a part three of this thing, because it's gonna, it's. I think it's it's worth taking time to do it well, to to describe this well, and you know, I'll just close by saying we we're not trying to like say you know we want to add our voices to this historic event of two thousand years, this historic uh, debate of two thousand years. We're we're not here just to. Say like, hey, look at us. We decided. This. Honestly, I, I'm going to be uh, just forthright with everybody here. I I am trying to convince people to believe that the salvation is eternal. That true work of the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for my endurance till the end to keep keeping power. And and we will give seven or eight scriptures that that clearly do that. And I I believe I do I do believe if people are concerned about well, this scripture seems to say that. And this scripture seems to say that. It doesn't. They don't say two different things. They can only say one thing. So you have to choose which is saying. And so we're going to lay out the case. Uh, but we are, uh, I think, a, a, a biblical preacher is in the pulpit. And this is a little different than a pulpit, but it's kind of our pul pulpit, is Definitely. trying to bring people to a decision about truth. Let me and, just make mm -hmm. my little declaration sure. as well. Um, I I have come to believe through the scriptures that that the, those who are in Christ, that nothing will be able to snatch us from his yeah. hand. Right. Um, or some people would say, but you can jump out of his hand. And we'll get into that later. Right. Um, but that's something. That's not nothing. That's Jumping not nothing. Out of his hand. <laughs> right. Something. That's, that's yeah. something. Yeah. But I would say that for me, humbly, um, with all the charity that we, you know, we can d disagree on things and have honest, charitable discussions about them. But if we weren't convinced of this, um, we wouldn't be preaching on it like anything else. And and so um, there there isn't this isn't a place to to break free and and to divide up and to no, say that. Yeah. But I but I believe that that we should say these things because we believe this is what the Word of God teaches. Yes. And um and, and we, so and, and no, I was just gonna say and so I can't. Anytime there's an issue in the Bible that's controversial, because what's controversial today may be different 15 years from now. There may be some things that today we, if we if we have that conviction from the Word of God, um, we have to teach it. And I'll tell you what, I can listen to a man of God that I don't necessarily agree with everything, but gets his convictions from God's Word and stands by them. I have a lot more respect and and even fellowship with that man than I do a person that says, oh, we can't really talk about anything because mm -hmm. people will. No, I think this is what it really means when we say iron sharpens yeah. iron. And so I, I, it is important. It's not essential, but you know, I would hope that someone on the other side of this would would get lay out their case biblically as well too, so that we can learn from each other. Yeah, I think the essential part. If I if I were to say there was something essential to it, I would say it's this idea of a pastor warning his people 
you know, where, where's your house built on sand? And when and you're reading Hebrews 6 or 10, are you reading it as the person who's, if not careful, these warnings are going to be your condemnation? Right. Or, or are you the type of Christian that's so secure in what Christ has done for you, you take joy. Again, we're talking about the, the, the Hebrews 6 passage, the joy, faith, and hope that comes from that. Then you want to share it. Then you want to live with joy. Then your family is secure. Then, and and we are speaking, not just you know as hopefully some having some biblical insight and some hopefully proper exegesis. We we are both speaking of somebody who spent you know a good portion of our time believing the other Definitely. side of this uh, d- debate that we're having. And both of us have come now into believing in the assurance of our salvation, the security of the believer. And in doing so, both of us can say it's a testimony as well as a scriptural uh, interpretation. It's a testimony. Our life is, I'm more secure, I'm more happy, I'm more joyful. I, I, I can share the peace of Christ with other people in strong ways. Well, let's close here now. And I, I hope you'll, uh, and I hope as you've been listening to us, I know there's some people out there that they just get so up in arms, don't they? Like if somebody disagrees with them, particularly if it's somebody that, you know, like well, we trusted you, Gary, or we knew what your father taught, you know, and, right. and now they're offended by me or angry at me. So like, I pray you wouldn't be angry or upset. I pray that you would, uh, you know, be a Berean, go to scripture yourself. Uh, look at these, two. we've only hit two out of the six or seven or eight we're going to look at over the next few episodes. Um, but take a look at these things and get out some good commentaries. Um, you know, a friend of ours said that the best commentary on the book of Hebrews is the book of Leviticus. No doubt. And you could read in there about, <laughs> about what the, you know, was the blood sufficient is what the book of Hebrews is about. Was the sacrifice sufficient? And it was pointing to Jesus, the, 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 the sufficiency of the scripture. So uh, join us in our next episode as we continue this series on the security of our salvation. Thanks, Joshua. Excellent. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.